sound on the inside of your bulletin. Some of the Pharisees said in response to the man, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he has been born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So for a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. What, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And the final verse, the Pharisees said, you are steeped in sin. And they threw him out of the meeting and of the temple. Jesus found him at the last part. And he, in this passage, he finds this man who's been thrown out. And he says, uh, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this man said, I do believe. Tell me who he is. Jesus said, I am who am standing here, and he and the man worshipped him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be, thanks be to God. You know, it's an interesting sight, isn't it? As we get older, sight becomes more and more important. Some of you are like, old and you're not old. Look for the gray hair. It seems to be coming in. You know, I, I, this is actually some trifocals that my wife got. Okay? Very stylish. You know, the, the glasses keep getting better and better. Remember how it used to be a, the Coke bottle? And then it became the line. Now there's not even a line. It's a trifocal. Okay, so if I look at you on the bottom part, I can see all of your molecules. And then I can see you. And then I can see Alpha Centauri from the top. Because there's just a host of different options here, you know. I want to start actually wearing reading glasses because I think it's very dignified as a speaker wearing reading glasses, you know. You're wearing the reading glasses and when you have a point to make, you say, and now this, this, this. And then you put them back on. I, I think it makes you look more pastorly. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I struggle with sight myself. I have a condition in my eyes. Uh, I have what are called pterygiums in my eyes. And uh, it's a condition, if you spend a lot of time in the sun uh, when you were younger, uh, it happens to a lot of surfers and a lot of tennis players. Your eyes start to get this growth on the inside of them. And sometimes it can grow across your eyes. Now, the benefit of it is it can be uh, taken care of with surgery. But maybe if you see that my eyes are like, my wife always says, son, uh, I mean, not son, your eyes are so bloodshot. You know, everybody's going to think you're on drugs or something. 
you know, pastor being on drugs, it really sort of undermines one's credibility. So if you ever see my eyes being bloodshot, that's why. In fact, I'm supposed to wear sunglasses all the time to protect my eyes. You know, sight's such an important thing. If I was to ask many of you, if you had to lose one of your senses, what is the one that you would not want to lose? Most of you would say your sight, wouldn't you? Because by our sight, we see. We're able to interact with the world around us. It's the same way, if you think about it, not only with our physical sight, but with our emotional sight, our spiritual sight. You know, we have a hard time seeing the world as it is. We have a hard time seeing each other, even though physically we can't, understanding what's going on in their mind and, and mine. Think of all of the problems that we have, our inability to see the other's position. We have a hard time seeing ourselves, don't we? Sometimes the person we're most blind with is the person we look in the mirror with. Why am I the way that I am? Why do I do the things that I do? And we also ask the question, God, are you there? Because I'm having a hard time seeing you. Not only with my eyes, but with my spirit. In many ways, we're this nomads wandering the face of the earth, looking for a path that we can't seem to find. You know, what if for just a second we were able to pull the curtain back, to be able to see things as they really are, in perfect clarity? People and this world and a vision for my life and the one who made us. Think how different the world would be if nations could see each other, if enemies and friends could see each other the way that they are. See, this passage that Jesus is talking about, he's teaching us all about sight. But he's teaching us more than just about physical sight, he's teaching us about spiritual sight. It was Helen Keller that said, the saddest thing in the world is having sight but no vision. Jesus is coming to show us vision in this sixth sign. And he brings to light these two groups of people. One, a single person, the man born blind, and then another, the people, the Pharisees that are right here. And he uses a blind man, seen, to show the Pharisees who are blind. A difference between the educated and the uneducated. The humble and the proud. The seen and the blind. What is the difference between these two groups? It's their encounter with Jesus and how they respond. In this story, we also sit divided on one row of the aisle or another, seen as the Pharisees do, or seen as the blind men. So as I preach about this story, I want you to put yourself in one of these chairs, because at the end of the day, we must decide how we see. Since the light of the world, Jesus Christ, has come into the world, we must choose to walk in His light, and not by our sight. To understand this path that the blind man takes, we have to go through three particular stages that we see in this passage. Number one, if we want to truly be able to see, we have to acknowledge our blindness. We have to acknowledge our blindness. Number two, we have to proclaim our sight. We must acknowledge our blindness, blindness then we must proclaim our sight. And finally, my third point, we must worship the light. So let's unpack these things in the next two and a half hours, maybe two hours, 45 minutes, if I get going. Number one, acknowledge our blindness. In verse one, we see that as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's a valid question 
certainly back in the day. Because things that went wrong with people, whether physical or financial, were seen as curses from God. So these disciples are asking Jesus, who should know the answer, who was it? His parents or the other folks who sinned that he's in this condition. But Jesus answers in this way. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This must have come as a big shock to the disciples. Because that doesn't make any sense. Why is this man in such trouble? How is it that he could display any work? In fact, he's useless. <coughs> but Jesus says more. It was not this man or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Not just the work of God, but the works of God. And these works, they're not of him, they're actually of God. And they are going to be on display in this man. See, he's not displaying it, they're on display. My, I was a privilege of being a part of a team that won four state championships in four years in tennis at my high school. And we won district championships, we won regional championships, and so we had this display case, and all of the trophies were there. And we would walk by it, and our awards, our accomplishments were on display for everyone to see. See, that's what Jesus is saying about this guy, that the works of God might be displayed in a blind man. But what does it mean, these works that he's talking about? The word work is actually found many places in the Old Testament and New Testament. Such as Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. A picture of God's glory and majesty. How about the story of creation, seven days, remember? He makes these beautiful things. He makes the ocean and he makes the sky, and at the very end, he makes man. And he saw everything, and he saw that it was good, and he rested from his work. The display of the glory of God. You see, work equals splendor. It equals majesty of God. And so Jesus, as he came to earth, said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his works. So Jesus, after talking about the blind man, turns to the disciples, indeed turns to us and says, we must work the works of him who sent us, sent me while it is in the day. Night is coming when no one can work. See, Jesus is saying that this is imperative. What is to be displayed in this man, we must also do. And because day has come, we are able to work. We can work because this light has come in. Indeed, in verse 5, as long as, as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, these people who are hearing Jesus speak understood this because they lived in a place where there was no electric light. When it was daytime, it was time to work. When it was nighttime, it was time to go home because no one could see to work. And Jesus is saying, the light has come. Indeed, at the beginning of John, John 1, it says that in him was life, and this life was the light of the men, of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. And so in Matthew 5, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus, giving this explanation, wants to show a physical demonstration. And so he takes this, this man, and in verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I've looked at that passage often and said, why did you choose to heal him that way? <laughs> kind of strange, isn't it? Not sure I fully know the answer, but I think I do. See, if you remember when God created man, what did he do? He took the dust of the earth and he formed man out of the clay, out of the dirt, and put it together and breathed into him and he became a living person. See, I think this is an act, not of creation, but of recreation. Taking dirt out of the ground, taking it to himself, placing it on this man, and looking to restore and recreate that which is broken. See, Jesus continues to work, to finish the work of the Father. But Jesus does something else. He doesn't heal him right there, does he? He says in verse 7, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now there's a test of faith for this man, isn't there? How do I get to Siloam? Do I believe what this man has just done to me? How do I show the works of God? See, to show the works of God, we must believe. We must exercise faith in what God says through Christ is to be true. But we must not only believe, but we must obey. You know, I think of this guy, and I have no idea how far Siloam was, but here he has mud on his eyes, and he starts finding the signs and the path to walk to this place in hopes that he will get there and that something will happen to him. Is he embarrassed? Is he ashamed? He's got mud probably coming down from his eyes? I don't know. I just know Jesus said to walk, and he did. And he came back seen. Now, why did this blind guy respond? I think it's simply this. Blind people are easier to lead. See, they've spent their life in darkness, being accustomed to someone taking them and leading them. Pride has gone out the back door a long time ago. They've recognized their need for someone else. And so there's a humbleness in this man who recognizes and acknowledges that he's blind. And there's a hope. I think that's why this blind man, blind man was able to recognize the light. It's amazing what blind people can tell. You know, just the sound of their footstep hearing the echo against the walls. He was attuned to the light in a way that we never could. And so he recognized the light. John 3 puts it this way. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. He believed and he went and he came back seen. I remember a, a time for Liel and I, we were newly married. I don't know how long it was into our marriage. And Liela started to experience some symptoms of a problem. She started feeling vertigo and dizziness. And it would come on just in an instant notice. Literally, it felt like the world was spinning for her. And she literally dropped to her knees and have to lay down. It was like she was on a roller coaster that never stopped because something was wrong. Well, she went in for testing and they discovered that she has something called Meniere's disease. And Meniere's disease is a, is a uh, disease that fixes itself to your oral nerve, I forget what it's even called, and, and it causes problems in your balance because you have two balance nerves in your ears. They're the things that help you calibrate and see and stay balanced. Well, one was malfunctioning. It was giving bad data, and so she was like a plane, you know, flying off to the side. And she literally had to close her eyes in order to not see anything because she was seeing it falsely. At one point, working through this, she realized that something had to happen. See, it's amazing the body, 
how it can recalibrate. You can cut one balance nerve, and you can learn to balance again. It's not easy, but it's something that has to be done. And the doctors and everybody recommended it because we didn't know what was going to happen with this disease. And so we went in, Liellen went in, was prepped for surgery, and they went in, they cut that balance nerve. And Liellen came out and started to have to learn to walk all over again. But no more of that vertigo, because now there was only one message to listen to. It's kind of ironic. The times when Liellen feels most out of balance is when it's dark, because she has no reference point. You see, in the beginning, she needed the dark, but in the end, the, the darkness hurt her. See, it's the same thing for us. We have only one message we need, not two balanced nerves, the nerve of the world and the nerve of Christ, but Christ himself. And so to get vision, we must renounce our sight. Revelation begins with confession, putting the bandana on our eyes and becoming helpless and saying, Lord, lead me. Jeremiah 29 puts it this way, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, who can seek him? Who can show the works of God? I love this passage because the answer is anyone. It doesn't matter if you're blind. It doesn't matter if you're a genius. It doesn't matter if you're divorced. It doesn't matter if you come from a broken home. Those things, even that are our responsibility, God is using and has used so that the glory of God might be proclaimed in your life. And we show it in our weakness. You know, what's your weakness? Maybe it's you struggle with health issues, sickness, you deal with it, everything's fine, it comes back, it's like that specter that's constantly floating around. And you ask the question, who sinned, my parents or me? But Jesus says, no one. Now, is there hardness and problems put on us by our sin? Absolutely. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the realities of our life. The answer is nobody's sin. Indeed, you're in this very place so that the glory of God might be revealed in you. You know, Jesus healed that man that day. But there are many people that Jesus didn't heal. See, not being healed physically does not exempt us from the glory of God. Indeed, the person that gave the most glory to God was the one that hung on a cross, Jesus Christ. The second might have been John the Baptist, beheaded for the cause of Christ. And so we must look to that place in our life where we are blind. We must believe his message, and we must obey and respond wherever it is he leads us. Because the light of the world has come into the world. And so we must choose to walk by His light and not our sight. Well, this brings me to my second point. If we acknowledge our blindness, we must proclaim our sight. Look at verse 8 through 10. The neighbors and those who had seen Him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is He, but others said, No, He's like Him. But the man kept saying, I am the man. And so they asked him the question, I am the man. I like that. You know, how did this happen? See, they're looking at the guy, but they can't see. Because what has occurred in this man's life is inexplicable. It doesn't make any sense. It's something that they can't register. So they keep asking. 
They say to him, well, if you are the guy, prove it. And Jesus, he's proving it, by the way, right there. But, but the man answered, the man called Jesus, made God and anointed my eyes, and said, go and wash. Now keep in mind, mentioning the name Jesus was not a good thing to do at that time. Because they'd already declared, if you said and believed in Jesus, you were going to get thrown out of the temple. And to get thrown out of the temple in the Jewish community means to be cursed. And yet this man, receiving his sight, began to proclaim. He proclaimed to the people, and then they bring him to the Pharisees, the ones who are supposedly the seers of Israel, the keepers of the law, the people that are showing Israel how to walk. And he testifies before them. And the Pharisees ask the same question. Those who should know the words of God say, how did this happen? And the man explained, and this is the response of some of the Pharisees. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. See, the issue here is they're looking at the law of the Sabbath and they're saying, uh-uh, this guy who's doing this miraculous act is doing wrong. Little do they understand that the one who is the creator has come back into the world. The one who brought rest to creation has come back to renew and restore and recreate that which has been broken by the sin of humanity. You know, it's like when something's broken in your house and you can't fix it, and so what do you do? You call the people that made it. And you say, come on out, I can't fix this thing. Jesus has come to repair that which is broken. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He has come to bring rest to a world thrown into chaos. But they can't see it. They won't see it. Because they don't recognize who is in front of them. See, they don't want to do the works of God. They want to reflect themselves. And so as John 1 says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. See, these Pharisees are not happy about this change. It's destabilizing the status quo. Look, we got our balance here, okay? We don't want to stop things the way that they are. So what did the Pharisees do? They bring the parents. Good idea, right? They, you know, the mom birthed this child. Hey, what happened? Well, yeah, he's our kid. We know that, but how it happened, I don't know. Ask him. And the reason they asked him, they didn't want to get in trouble. Now, time out. If your child was blind and somebody healed them, would you not be jumping for joy? Would you not be trying to find this man and thank him and proclaim him? And yet these people, the parents are on the sidelines. Why? Because they can't see. They won't see. They're blind. And so again the Pharisees, tell me again, what happened? And the man says, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since before the world began has this happened. If this man were from, not from God, he could do nothing. And the blind uneducated beggar teaches the seers of Israel. We are called not only to acknowledge our blindness, but to proclaim our sight. 
If you're a Christian, God has opened your eyes to see the glory of God. And if we simply believe and obey, God will use our words and our life to proclaim our sight. I'm going to play you a passage here real quick. It struck me about a pastor who wanted to give a sermon. And it's one of the best explanations, if you will, of proclaiming the glory of God and the sight that we have in Him. to know. 
speak to? How do we speak sincerely and honestly and openly like this man? Where do we speak like this man? Everywhere where someone would give us a hearing. We are called to proclaim the glory of God and to do the works that God has given us to do. To be reflections of the glory of God. Whether it's in your house, or whether it's at the gas station, or whether it's at work, or whether it's where you're playing golf, or whether it's getting your dry cleaning, or whether it's you're at the gym, this is what God has called us to do. So we must choose to walk and speak by His light, not by our sight. This brings me to my final point, that if we proclaim His light, we also must worship it. You know, we see a, a progression, don't we, from the man's eyes being opened to his mouth speaking to his heart, worshiping. Jesus finds him and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now we hear that term, we aren't exactly sure what it means. It's actually a reference to Daniel, the book of Daniel, verse 7, chapter 13. And in this vision, the prophet says, I looked and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All people, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. See, this man, Jesus is saying to this man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe that I am he? And the man said, the Lord, Kurios, Yahweh, I believe. And he worshipped. See, to see the light is not only to proclaim it, but to worship God doesn't want you for what you can say to Him, about Him. He wants what you say to Him. He doesn't want your eyes, He wants your heart. And so He opens your eyes to see. What are you walking by, my friends? You may be a Christian, but you haven't quite cut that balance nerve. And it continues to haunt you. Look into the light. Get with God, just you and Him. Read His Word. You know, everything that man said was from God's Word. And it's true. And there's something about praying and God's Word that fills us with the light and moves our heart. That's why we come to church, isn't it? You know, if you take a log and you start burning it alone, it will quickly go out. But if you put a bunch of logs together, it will burn brighter and longer. That's Redeemer Presbyterian, isn't it? We're called to be a church on fire. And so let us burn together. Let us see and proclaim what God has done. And let us worship Him here and in our homes and in Virginia Beach and the surrounding community. Because since the light of the world has come into the world, let us choose now, today, tomorrow, and the rest of our life to walk by His light, not by our sight. And by God's grace, we will do it. Let us pray. Lord, you are the light of the world. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the one that takes us from obscurity and brings us into light. We thank you that when our eyes were darkened by sin and rebellion, you came into our hearts. And you said, let there be light. And you recreated us, and you are recreating us. Lord, help us to know your grace, to sit at your feet, that you may shape us and mold us, that we may do the work of that which you have called us to, to display the splendor of you and your Father through the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, wherever people are at right now, I know that there are people in our congregation whose eyes are dark. Lord, I pray that they would acknowledge their blindness and turn to you to be healed. Touch them, Lord. Show them the light. Open their hearts. And Lord, move us to desire nothing else, not the darkness, but your light and your presence. Let us do that together as your church and your family. We pray all of this in Christ's name.